Don't you wish that life could be easy? I mean, don't you sometimes get, you find yourself wishing that life is just this sort of nice freewheeling downhill ride where everything's great and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the butterflies are dodging you and it's all kind of full of laughter and joy and wonderful things. I, 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 don't, I often wish that. Very often I find myself saying, Sheena will give you testimony, uh, why can't life be simple? It just seems like sometimes the simplest things that we go out to do become complicated and, and complex and, and difficult and hard and, and all of these different things. I wish sometimes that life could just be simple. But of course, the truth is, if life were really all that, if it was really a, a nice glide downhill, uh, the truth is we probably wouldn't be that healthy. We probably wouldn't grow into the person that God intends us to be. And then truth be told, we would like to be without some struggle, without some tension, without some challenges in our life. So we're going to look now into the book of James. It'll take us right through till, till Easter. And honestly, the book of James, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's a book in the Bible towards the end of it. And it's one of those letters, one of those parts of the Bible that people either love or they hate. It's not really a, a sort of a middle-of-the-road book. People either tend to love it or hate it. And the reason that some people kind of hate it is that very often it sort of feels like being taken to the woodshed. It just sort of feels like you're going along in life and boom, you keep getting these slaps upside of the head. And, and there's a reason for that. You know, there's 108 verses in the book of James, just 108 verses, and 50 of them are commands. 50 of those verses are, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. So it's very easy. I mean, if you're an action person and you sort of like this, you know, hard-hitting thing, that book of James, oh yeah, I love the book of James. But if you're sort of a pastoral type and you like to be eased into things, it's kind of like, oh no, we're not going to spend till Easter doing this. I'm fed up getting beat up. And so it's kind of a love or a hate thing that just feels oftentimes like the woodshed. But the truth is, it's not. The truth is that the book of James is actually intended to be a very pastoral book. A book that shows God's care. And the way in which it shows God's care is showing us the way to go. I, I was saying to, to, to Sarah, our daughter here, oh, I don't know, a few months ago, because you know, she was struggling with some parts of the Bible. I said, Sarah, here's how you have to read the Bible. Whatever the passage of the Bible is that you're reading... You imagine yourself saying that to the kids. Because this is God the Father saying this to your kids. And, and if you think about the tone that you would use, you think about the desire that you would have, you think about where, where he wants to go. And, and when we read it that way, that this is God our Father saying, hey, Alan, here's some things. You've got some trials and struggles and difficulties in life. You've got some challenges. You've got some things that are hard. You've got some things you need to straighten out. Here's how to do it. Here's the way of life. Because I want you to live the problem is this. My title for the whole series is this. Doing what does not come naturally. Doing what does not come naturally. And that's why James is sometimes so hard for us because, I don't know, but for you, I was saying this at the elders meeting just the other night. So often if there's a battle that comes up or something that's difficult, my first impulse is to be a lot more like my earthly father than my heavenly father. My first response is not necessarily the response of Jesus. And then James recognizes this and he says, Jones, I understand this is the way you are, but you've got to do what doesn't come naturally to you. You instead have got to walk in this different way. Now, 
One more thing on how to take the book of James. One of the fascinating things that I, I don't think I knew this before. It's been a long time since I did a big study on James, but, but it may have been new information. It might have been something I've forgotten. But do you know that there's an incredible link between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount? You know, this, we sang some of it, you know. Some of this marvelous teaching, I mean, everybody's favorite portion, you know, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, 8, the, you know, Jesus, you know, blessed are the poor, blah, 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 all these things. The book of James, you, it's amazing. You can Google it and look it up and you'll see charts between here's the passage in James and here's the passage on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not that he took Matthew's and wrote it down because James, the book of James was written very, very early. Some people say in the 40s, like, you know, within like 10, 15 years of Jesus' crucifixion. But it's that James is written by the half-brother of Jesus and he kind of hung around with Jesus quite a bit. And so this teaching of Jesus in there. So, so you, if, you, if you love the Sermon on the Mount, you just kind of think of the book of James as the Sermon on the Mount put on the ground. The Sermon on the Mount, these marvelous teachings of Jesus put into real life situation. That's kind of what it is. The other thing it is, if you take the book of James and you take Proverbs chapter, you know, Old Testament book of Proverbs right after Psalms, there's book of wisdom. If you take Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 in the book of James, you'll see an incredible uh, alignment of the teaching and even style in there. And so this is what James is. It's this practical application of the marvelous grace and wisdom of God. This book is so helpful. You know AA, Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, Dr. Bob, one of the co-founders, he so often said, very often, that, listen, the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount makes sense because they're kind of the same thing. The book of James and the Sermon on the Mount and 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Love is kind, looks good. These are central to AA. As a matter of fact, the book of James was so important and, and so popular with the first people coming into Alcoholics Anonymous all those years ago that they first wanted to call themselves... The James Club. The James Club. So this is a book that's intended to show the heart of God and invite us into a life that's worth living, a life that is full, a life that's able to take on the challenges of life and come through victorious and end up looking very much like Jesus. And these first 11 verses that we're going to look at today, they're going to sort of introduce almost all of the topics that James later on is going to fill in, all except for the stuff about the tongue. So let's take a look at it and see where we're going with this whole deal. Here we go. Let's read. Oh, this is so tragic. Like none of it? My little diagram? Oh, okay, that's important. All right, good. All right, well... Let's hope you have your devices. Here we go. I shall read. You know what? That actually works out better. This is the Holy Spirit cursing our technology. So I wanted to change how we do it anyway. That's perfect. So instead, let's, let's go here. James, a servant of God. Now, James, as I said, he's the half-brother of Jesus, right? You know, my, my buddy Hockley, when he was preaching on this, he said to the people, okay, we're going to do a true and false test. James is the older brother of Jesus. Oh, no. Because, of course, the virgin birth, right? But James is the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, there's some debate on it, but, but they're pretty sure that that's who it is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as Andy Stanley often says, if you wanted some proof of the, of the resurrection, what would cause you to think that your brother was God? It would take quite a bit, wouldn't it? Something like the resurrection. 
He's the servant of Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This, this is a, a Jewish book. The 12 tribes, he's talking about the Jewish people. After the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, they scattered all over sort of the Roman world. And he's writing to these Jewish people who are scattered about, perhaps because of persecution. Okay? Here we go. And this is the famous one for James. You, you've, you've probably heard this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, uh, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom fails, and the beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, and even while they are going about their business. Okay. He's going to start off, and this is what he's going to begin by saying. He's going to say, listen... Life can be hard, so look for the growth. Life can be hard, so look for how is it in this that I can grow. You see, there's an assumption that, that James begins with, and this is the assumption, that you are going to face trials, that I am going to encounter difficulties in life. And there are going to be all kinds of them, he says. Some of these challenges, the difficulties, are just sort of going to be internal. We're going to be frustrated with some things. We're going to struggle with things that we think, we wish that we could get them out of our life. Sometimes they're going to be temptations that we just have a really hard time resisting. And sometimes we even uh, fall into them. And sometimes these trials are ones that we bring upon ourselves. Sometimes the trials and the difficulties that come into our life are because we're foolish. It's because we didn't listen to our mama and we do stuff we shouldn't be doing. And we find out that we're in this difficult time right now. But sometimes it's, we enter into these trials and we bring them upon ourselves, not because we're foolish, but because we are called by Jesus to actually do it. Sometimes we put ourselves on purpose into a trial, into a difficult circumstance. You know, we have a purpose statement for the church. It says this, the purpose of the Grand Prairie Church of Christ is to praise and worship God. That means to give all of our life and every action to worship God and to gather together and worship Him because that's ultimately what we're for, is to worship God. And then it says this, to mature and assist others in maturing towards the image of Christ. So first purpose, first part, praise God. Second purpose is to grow into looking like Jesus and to encourage one another and challenge one another to grow into the image of Christ, to worship God and to look like Jesus. So what does that mean? You know, Mike Hodges, he sent me a, uh, uh, a podcast the other day. Uh, it was really good. It was a podcast, an interview by Dr. Haley Gorenson Jacob. And she was talking about her book, uh, Conform to the Image of His Son, Reconsidering Paul's Theology of Glory in Romans. You, you know it's got to be good, because she got her PhD from St. Andrews, and her supervisor was none other than Tom Wright. 
I didn't know that when she, you know. She, she's listed by Christianity Today as 10 female theologians. That's good to know. So, and listen, this is, this is basically what she says. It's this whole thing about Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 20 through 30. You know the passage, God works for good for all those who love him. You know, all these difficulties in life is often quoted. Ends up with the glory. And this is what she says. We are to be transformed into the image of Christ. Our, your life is supposed to look like Jesus' life. And the whole point is that we're working on, the Spirit is working on us, looking more and more like Jesus. And when that happens, we will be glorified. Okay? You are headed to be glorified. Sounds great, doesn't it? But then she explains what glory is. The glory of Jesus is to take the suffering of other people onto themselves. You see what she's saying? She's saying that we understand what Romans 8 is talking about and these trials and difficulties. What it's saying is this. You have somebody in your life. You see something difficult going on. You see some of the tragedies of the world. And while it might be nice for us to say, boy, that's too bad and walk away. No, what he's saying is that, listen, what you need to do is you need to dive into that mess and carry that person's burden. You need to dive into that mess and try and make a difference for the sake of Jesus because that is what Jesus would do and that is what the glory of a Christian and the glory of Christ is. It's to bring upon yourself a trial, a hard circumstance because you just jumped in the pool to help somebody else that's going through a difficult time. And we need each other to do that. We need each other to do that. First of all, to remind us, hey, Jones, you, I, you could walk away from all kinds of circumstances. You're not allowed to. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You become aware of a mess. You've got to dive in and make a difference. Whatever difference you can make, you've got to make that difference because that is what it looks like to be like Jesus and that is the glory of following Christ. Your glory as a Christian is suffering. Hallelujah. I'm just in the first couple of verses here. This is going to be a rough <laughs> couple of months. And so we need to remind, and not only that, but we need, to, we need brothers and sisters to help us do that. Because a lot of these messes that you're commanded by Jesus to jump into are bigger than you and are bigger than me. And we need the whole body of Christ, we need the church to help us along. You know, one of the most uh, profound times I had when I was down there in uh, Kentucky, uh, we went to visit this church, and, and this church is well, it's known for a bunch of different things, but one of the things it's known for it has a tremendous ministry to, to women who, who find themselves in, in all kinds of difficulty. Really, you know, really, really messy situations. Often right from childhood on. And I mean, it, it, it gets pretty tough sometimes. And they said this, listen, um, you know, you have to apply to get into this program, this ministry. And he said, the reason is this. It takes six people to walk well with somebody who's really struggling. Less than six, and you, they sink too. The burnout, the weight, the time. All, it takes six to one. And so we need the church. It's what we do. We encourage one another. Hey, oh, you heard about this? Okay, that's a mess. You've got to jump in, and I'm going to jump in with you. And I'm going to, at least maybe I'm going to stand on the side with my arm out, and I'm going to have five other people. However it works. This is why we have the church. This is what we are called to be and to do as the Grand Prairie Church of Christ is to jump into messes and take trials upon ourselves 
Because that's what it is to be the glory of a Christian. And so sometimes these trials that we face, that we're supposed to consider joy, we bring them upon ourselves. Sometimes foolishness, sometimes because we're being obedient. And sometimes these trials come upon ourselves because the external pressures and circumstances that we didn't want, we don't agree with all those things, but hey, here it comes. I just got sick. I uh, went broke. Uh, whatever. I mean, all kinds of things that maybe external things happen to us. And so God says to us, listen, here's all these trials. And when you face these trials, you are to consider it pure joy. All kinds of joy. Now, there's an inter- make, sure you, make sure you see this distinction. He does not say, when you face trial, he says, when you face trials, consider it all or consider it pure joy. He does not say, consider all trials joy. You see the difference? He's not saying you'll put on a happy face. Oh, this is great. You know, I just got this terrible news. Oh, I just lost my job. Oh, my kids, you know, have wandered away from me. Oh, you know, whatever. The de- no, it's not, you know, what he's saying is, listen, it's not, it's not that you find joy because you're getting crucified. He said, you consider it pure joy when you face these things because of what that trial is going to do. Didn't you see the difference there? Okay. So, what is it? Well, how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one is you understand that it's a mind game. Okay. This way, he says, consider it all joy. This word consider has got two sides to it. One is, it's a brain engaged, and the second idea is leadership. This word for consider has, has leadership in it. And what he's saying is this, listen, you've got a trial that hits you, and you're going to find joy. And how do I do that? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to think about this in the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to allow my mind, not my heart, not my fears, not the circumstances, I'm going to allow my mind and the decisions I make to lead me through this. And I'm going to allow my mind to determine which way I go. I'm going to let my mind lead me, and then I'm going to lead my mind into saying, no, there's going to be joy in this. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So you look at it and you think, oh man, here comes the trial. Okay, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to find joy in this trial because it's going to make me into the glory of Christ. And then I'm going to use my mind to say, well, these are the steps I'm going to take to get through this trial. See? My second thing, he said, to show that it's a mind game. He says, listen, you know that it will lead to maturity. You know that God says when you go through this trial, whether it's one that you could happen to you or you dove in to help somebody else, we can know that when I do this, I'll become more Christ-like. It might be tough. It might be rough. My name might be Sue. I don't <laughs> Just flashback from childhood. So anyway, but I'm going to know that I'm going to become more like Jesus in this. Either because I'm helping drag somebody else out of the sludge or because God himself drags me out of it. So the first thing is understand it's a mind game. Consider and know. Number two is stick with the process. Do you see the process there? It's really quite there. It starts with the trial. And he says, okay, this trial is going to, we're going to turn that into a testing. And as you go through this testing, then comes perseverance. 
And as you persevere in the trial, then comes maturity, then comes Christ-likeness. Okay, so that's kind of the process. So how does that break down? Well, we've already seen what the trials are, you know, jumping into the mess, all those sort of things. Testing is the idea of making something, approving something genuine. Or, you know, it's used for like, uh, you know, you've got gold that needs to be refined, so they put it in the heat and they skim off all the, the junk, right? That's what, that's what testing is. And so what it's saying is that, listen, when you go through these trials, uh, he's simply getting rid of the junk of our lives to make us more like Jesus. That's when it becomes a trial. We become, we become genuine. If I say I'm going to trust in God to give me all of my resources and I'm going to put the kingdom first, we just finished singing it, then God says, okay, let's make sure that that's true for your life. And so this trial is going to happen and then it's going to test you. It's going to help you to boil off the junk of your life, Alan. And then comes perseverance. Perseverance is the idea of unswerving loyalty of direction. And it has the idea of patience and discipline. Patience and discipline, persevering, sticking with it. I know I'm going to get to the end, and this is hard, but I'm going to persevere. I'm going to carry on through it. And when that comes out, we come into maturity. It's the idea of being whole. Perfect is the word. It's it's the theme of James. It's seven times he talks about becoming perfect or becoming mature. It's the way in which it goes. And that's why sometimes, you know, I... I wonder how I can say this without sounding arrogant. Probably can't. So let me say it, I'm in danger of this. Sometimes when you jump in to help, help people that are really struggling with an area that you have victory in life, and I mean, I've got messes all over kinds of my life, but there's some things that, you know, kind of got a handle on by the Holy Spirit. And same for you, right? Some things are a mess, some things are good. And, and sometimes when you jump in and... Um, and you, you're trying to make a difference in somebody's life and you're trying to do this whole glory thing. And it's like, oh, Lord Jesus, if they would just decide this instead of that. And you've done through it like 10 times and it's like, okay, forget it, whatever, walk away. They can't be helped. You know what helps? Is to understand that the chances are God wants to do something in my life, not theirs in that time. And instead of getting mad and frustrated, like some people do, is to say, I haven't learned my lesson yet. (laughs) I haven't been refined well enough yet. And until I get my heart straight, until God gets rid of the junk that's in my life and in my heart with this thing, this person is going to, you know, it's probably going to carry on being a mess because really... um, I need to learn that this is, this is about me and God changing me and making me more like Christ. And that, and that helps sometimes. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the hardest part is that perseverance part. And it's not just that it's keeping, keeping going, but, it, but the truth is that sometimes you should walk away, right? I mean, sometimes it's like, I quit. I quit this job, I quit this, or you know, whatever the deal is, I can't take it away. So the, the question is, how do I know when I should discipline myself and persevere, waiting for God to finish this refining work, and when is it time to say, you know what, uh, I, 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 I'm done with this, God's done what he's done. Well, I'll tell you how. He, he, James tells us <laughs> it requires wisdom. It requires wisdom. And the good news is, he says, if you need the wisdom to know how to go through this trial, how to persevere or whether to quit or whatever, you just ask God. 
and he will give you wisdom. Because it's in his nature to give it. Look at verse 5. There's some tremendous teachings about who God is and the character of God right there in verse 5. We can ask for wisdom with confidence. Why? Well, number one, it says because God, the way in which that's written, God is a constantly giving God. That's the tense of the word. It's that God keeps giving it. That's his nature. He just keeps giving. He constantly gives. Number two, it says about God, what? He gives to everyone who asks. This is such good news. Because he's not stingy with the wisdom. He's not like, well, you've never spoken to me before, so forget it. Or you didn't listen to me last time, so forget it. But some of those tendencies that we might have, God doesn't have. He says, listen, if you, no matter who you are, whether or not you know me, love me, whatever, if you ask for wisdom, then my nature is to give this wisdom. The third thing, it says that he gives generously. He gives us more than enough to get through whatever the situation is that we're in. He gives that to us. And he does it without, number four, without finding fault. Without criticism of, ah, oh, you should already know this, Jones. How many times have I taught you this lesson? How many times have you been? No, no God doesn't do that. He says, okay, he needs wisdom again. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the wisdom. And then he does something weird. He, it, it's sort of like, I'll give you this unconditionally. I'll give you this wisdom. And then the next thing he does in verse 6 is he says, oh, there is a condition. If you're going to ask for wisdom, you need to ask with faith. Otherwise, you don't get anything from me. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, it's, oh, man, I'm hooped. Because when I'm facing decisions, I'm very often I'm like, especially if things don't you know, work out perfectly the way I think it should right away, I'm like, uh, was this the wisdom of God? Was this the right decision? Uh, should, should I? And so I, I think, oh, man, I'm in trouble because I've never asked in faith because I'm always kind of doubting a little bit when things don't work out, Right? So what in the world is this whole thing? Well, this is important. James isn't talking about that little, well, I think I've heard from the Lord, and I think this is what I need to do, so I'm I'm going to go down that path, but I'm going to be ready to to swivel in case it's hot. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is a deep-seated disbelief that God will get you through. Okay, you see the difference? God understands that uh, sometimes I don't hear real well. Da, 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 da. This is like, well, I'm in this spot. I suppose I should ask God because I'm a Christian and I've got to tell my friends I prayed about this. But any fool can see that this is what I'm going to do. See, see the difference there? And that's what James is saying. It's not, he said, listen, when you're asking for wisdom, you don't go around pretending like you're looking for God's wisdom when you're going to do what you're going to do anyhow. That's what he's talking about. Don't be like that. Okay? To the best of your ability, ask for wisdom, follow along, and be ready for a change, of course. Be humble enough to say, ah, you know what? We thought this was God's leading me with this other way. It's the same like we talked last week all about this whole financial deal and the decision. We think we've heard the Lord. We think we're going with the Lord's wisdom and how we do things. But we better have the humility in case, you know, somebody else that's not an elder or on the suture team or whatever comes up with some brilliant idea. Somebody in junior high says, uh, can't we just boom and, oh, <laughs> yeah, we could do that. Okay, so that, that we've got to carry that humility with us to do it, okay? But it's not the, oh, man, I'm not sure. It's this deep-seated pretend like we want God's wisdom, but really we do what we want. And then James says, let me just 
explain how this works in real life. And so he gives an illustration. And it's an illustration that digs down at the heart of most of us because God understands that money figures so largely into our life and into the trials and the temptations and the challenges that we face. Now, at first, it seems like it's about money because you remember how it ended, the rich and the poor. But what I need us to understand is that when you look at what he's going to say about this whole thing, he's actually going a layer deeper. And he's actually going to dig into what money sort of represents and what money does to us, okay? He's going to go a bit deeper. Because what he's really going to talk about is identity and where we get our identity and how we live out our identity. Because he's saying this, listen, life requires you to know your identity. Because you are going to live out of who you believe yourself to be. It's going to guide your choices. So you're going to make sure that your identity and everything that you do and however you encounter life is the true identity which we find in Christ. And there's nothing that messes up our identity like money. And so he starts out, he says, listen, uh, for those of you where where the, the trial of finances is, you don't have enough. You're poor. Maybe you've been through times of poverty in your life. Maybe you're you're in, in, in a time of poverty right now. And the funny thing about being poor, especially if you've if you've lost something that you already had, is the guilt that comes with it. Oh man, I shouldn't have messed that up. Man, I should provide for my family better than I could. Man, how did I mess it up that I can't help people like I want to help? When we're poor, we feel like such a failure. You know, I went to school with that guy, and look how much better he's doing than I am. It's, it's, the, the, it's devastating to go bankrupt. And with that sense of failure comes an incredible shame. I don't want to go to that event because they're all rich people and, you know, I... I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to that reunion. I'm ashamed. I lost all this money and I did it because I'm a stupid fool. And if we live in that long enough, we, we can't hack it. And so then, and so then jealousy creeps in. And we become a jealous person. And then if we're in that long enough, when we think of how it was or how it could be, we begin to think about, you know what, if I, just, if I just had a little more, if I just had some more money, if I just won the lottery, if I just did this, then all my troubles would be over. You know what that's called? That's called materialism. So you see how this whole thing about not having enough money, it affects my identity. It says I'm worthless, I'm powerless, I'm a fool, I'm ashamed, I don't count, I should just shut up. It's a trial. But the other side can be a trial as well. The trial and the temptation of more than enough. The rich. By the way, 
That's you. You know, I read a stat here the other day when I was researching this out. And if you, if you drag home 55,000 a year, you're in the top 3% earners in the world. Okay? For 97% of the people, less than you, if you earn 55 a year. Okay? So when we're going through this whole deal, oh yeah, those rich guys. <laughs> oh yeah, those rich guys. And James realizes that there's, there's temptations and there's struggles with, with having more than enough. First of all, we can begin to think that that's where our security is. Right? Well, we can hack it because we've got this financial depth here, so you know, we're, we're going to be okay no matter what happens. We're going we're to be okay. Worse than that is sometimes when we have more than other people, we can use it for power. Power, please. Force our way, have the right connections. Look down on other people, whatever the case may be. Pride can sneak in. Because we can forget the family that we're born into, the country that we're born into, the education system that we get to be a part of, the chance that we happen to meet the right person at the right time. And pretty soon it's like, uh, yeah, I did it all myself. And if these guys would get it together, they'd do it themselves too. And pride can sneak in. And then we can begin defining ourselves by what we have. And so you see, both sides of this thing can be a trial, a temptation. Both sides of things can, can be, can be uh, a false identity. I'm not worth anything. I'm the best and deserve everything. And what James wants to do is that, listen, you, know, you need to understand whether you're rich or poor when you're going through this trial, this difficulty, whether you're being very successful or you've just lost everything. You need to understand that you've got to make sure that your identity, your self-understanding is found in Jesus. And so he says to the poor people, he says, listen, understand and rejoice because that stuff and that shame and that guilt and that feeling like a failure, it's a bunch of garbage. You are a child of God by the grace of God. So rejoice in that riches that you are a son, you are a daughter of the king because of grace. And he says to the rich, listen, you take, you take joy and pride in your humiliation because you realize that I need Jesus and I'm not more valuable or any better or any superior or anything else by anybody else. I am dependent upon the grace of God because when judgment day comes, it's not going to be, hey Al, where was your bank account? How did your investment do? Did you do good decisions there? It's going to be... Did you trust Jesus? Because you need him, Alan. You see, God's grace is this great leveler that says we all have the same identity. We're all messed up people who fall into trials and temptations and blow it, but by the grace of God, he drags us and he pulls us out of that miry pit and he stands us on solid ground and he washes us off with the blood of Jesus. And we're all the same. And that identity of understanding that we are always dependent on the grace of God, and same as me, same as you, same as everyone. And that identity is a sure, solid rock because it is founded on the grace of God who gives without finding fault, who gives with all who asks, who gives again and again and again and again and again. 
This is the central truth that we've got to live with. That everything that we do grows out of this identity of us in Jesus. And maturity in that identity has got to be the goal of my life. And these are other goals, and they're great. Goals are great. It's good to do all those things. But more than anything else, it needs to be, I am a child of God, and he is forming me into the image of Jesus. And I'm going to bear the glory of God because I'm going to carry in my life and in my heart and in my time and in my money the sufferings of the world. Because that's going to mature me. And that's when people are going to see the glory of Christ. When we as individuals and as a church live in this way. One last thing, this cause our identity. And we kind of loop back to the beginning. James, a servant of God and of Christ Jesus. A better word, a slave. Bond servant is some of the old translations I have because slavery carries you know, kind of a weird connotation for us. So they tend to use servant, but slave is a better word. Here's the half-brother of Jesus. Here is the leader of the mother church in Jerusalem where it all began. Here is the man who was to the Jewish people what the Apostle Paul was to the Gentile people. You couldn't get a higher status guy in that sense than James. And look at how he introduces himself. Not James, the half-brother of Jesus, James, an apostle. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James, the one that all the Jews look up to. James, the one that decides at the Jerusalem conference how it's going to be. No. James, a slave of Christ. That's my identity. That's what I'm all about. And it's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew letter, right? As we've said. And so, and so we go to the Old Testament mostly to understand what, what James means by a slave rather than necessarily some of the Greek nuances that, that Paul might use. And so this, if you go into that, what was a slave of God in the Old Testament? Number one, it, it's several things. Number one, it is dependence on the Lord for everything. Everything material, everything spiritual. It's, hey, I'm just dependent on God to get me through this trial. Secondly, to be a slave of God means I am committed to the service of the Lord. I'm committed to diving into those messes so that the glory of God can be seen in my life. I'm committed to be a servant. And then for me, most important, most challenging of all for me this week to be a slave of Jesus Christ means to give him my exclusive and total devotion. My exclusive and total devotion. And it's very, very clear. He means that in opposition to freedom. Man, you want to talk about something that is countercultural to our culture today. Because, man, we want our freedom. We want to say what's right. We want to say what's wrong. We want to say what I'm going to do. We want to say who I am. We want to say all of these kind of things. And to be a slave of Jesus Christ says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give up all of those freedoms which society may give you. And I'm going to be exclusively and completely devoted to Jesus and his kingdom and his glory because I'm a bond servant of Christ.
I'm going to do what does not come naturally to me because I'm a bond servant of Christ and the wisdom of God will lead me into the glory of bearing the suffering of the sufferers because that's what Jesus did. So there's a whole pile of information here. So for me this week, I'm just going to try and ask myself this question. Is what I'm about to do, how I'm about to respond, does that demonstrate exclusive and total dedication and devotion to Jesus? So that it looks like him. So that his glory is praised. And the kingdom comes forth. Almighty God, you know, for many of us, the book of James is is one of the most challenging books in the Bible because it's 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 hard hitting. It just it just simply is. And yet, and yet we recognize that that it that you put it there because it is for our good and you are a loving father and you are molding us and shaping us into the image of your son because that is right and good, not just for us, but for all of creation. And there's so much here because we face trials of many kinds. And if we don't have anything that's beyond us right now, we're supposed to jump into somebody else's situation and help them when they get overwhelmed. Because that's what it is to be, that's the glory of being a Christian. And we need each other to remind each other of that and to help each other when we're in those uh, quagmire. And we do this and we respond this way because we are devoted to you, Jesus. We really are. As for me, I get distracted at times and Like Dave said earlier, you know, I try for a bit and then I give up. Help us to not do that. This week, Lord, this week, this week, as I go through my life, as I encounter people, as I hear about situations, as all of these things, Holy Spirit, give me the strength. Give me the discipline. Give me the determination. Give me the grace to act in a way that shows exclusive and absolute devotion to you that you may be glorified even when I know there's a cost to me. I pray this through Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one who considered it glory to die for me. Amen.